You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. The business of cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com. Business of Cannabis. I am Dave Sky, and I'd like to thank everyone out there for making the business of cannabis such a success. Over 115,000 listeners a week, and I hope growing. We like to change things up here and talk to a cross section of people and uh, big and small companies, multi state operators, craft producers, everything in between. Uh, one thing we aren't changing uh, anytime soon is uh, the reason why we do this show. And the reason is this we believe there's a lack of hard business news stories coming from the cannabis space. For the people who actually do the work, the growing, the selling, the producing, the marketing, and to that end, the business of cannabis will pro- promise us to bring you the most relevant, groundbreaking, innovative business stories from the cannabis front lines, the latest in cannabis brands, services, innovations in retail, software, distribution, marketing. To put it bluntly, a hard look at the hard realities of making money in the cannabis industry. Now, here's a money back uh, guarantee. This show exceeds that promise. We speak to Chris Becker of the Honeybee Collective and Trent Wallavec of Jushiko. Uh, two more opposite companies you'll never meet. And after we talk, I'll let you decide uh, who you'd rather be or, or be inspired by, I guess. Uh, the Honeybee Collective is an employee-owned, echo-forward cannabis brand. Uh, they're very much a craft-oriented player. And they're not focused on huge growth or raising capital or, and market share. Then there's Jushiko, publicly traded, multi-state, vertically integrated, and very much focused on growth and efficiencies and product development capital. Jushiko wants to be huge, they just do. The Honeybee Collective wants to be part of this industry and be profitable and create a great life for their employees. A tale of two visions, in other words. Uh, can these two visions coexist? Uh, I'll, mu- I'll muse on that after we have a chance to hear from Chris and Trent. Uh, certainly there's no right or wrong, uh, but the approaches are self-evidently different. And then there's the question of how well each company uh, will execute on its objectives, all very well to proclaim yourself an organic, ecologically driven cannabis brand. Your cannabis might be awful. (laughs) Uh, Likewise, you might want to expand into every state in the US, but you won't if your product is terrible and your costs are out of whack with reality. So let's see how Chris Becker of the Honeybee Collective and Trent Wallavec of uh, Chushiko are doing on their respective and different journeys in the cannabis industry. I'm Dave Sky. And this is The Business of Canvas. And welcome to The Business of Cannabis. We have a Dr. Marcus Rogan, uh, President and Chief Scientific Officer of Delic Labs. 
which he founded in 2018 with his uh, friend, Professor Glenn Sanis, who happens to be an associate professor at the University of British Columbia. And that was Complex Biotech Discovery Ventures, which they rebranded after the sale of the company. Um, based in Vancouver, Canada, uh, Delic Labs is a licensed cannabis and psilocybin research lab focused on uh, chemical process development, analytic testing, extraction, optimization. Uh, like his friend, uh, our good doctor has his own degrees from multiple universities, a PhD in organic chemistry, a postdoc degree. He's been the recipient of multiple awards, the El Soli Award of ACS, Cannabis Scientist Power List 2020, 2021, 40 Under 40 by Marijuana Venture Magazine, among others. So can we just all agree that he knows his stuff and let's get into it? Doctor, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for the kind introduction. So um, why don't we just start with uh, a little nice softball question that I think you can answer. What does Delic Labs do? <laughs> Give us a bit of an overview. Yeah, so Delic do Labs- do every day. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Um, so Delic Labs is a research laboratory uh, to uh, act as a contract research organization to both the cannabis and the psychedelic industries for process optimization and any other chemistry research that those uh, two industry need uh, in their production problems or production methods um, or formulation questions. Uh, we are located in Vancouver, Canada, because uh, we can have research licenses by the federal government to do that. Right. Um, so I actually moved <laughs> from uh, California, where I was in the cannabis industry prior to this, uh, to Canada so that I could get the licenses, um, get the support by the government. Uh, we can be located on university grounds and partner and research together with the university, all the things you can't do in the US. Right. Yep. And... Uh, so we try to solve the overlooked problems and questions in the industry because uh, industries because there has been a lot of buzz and it was all cool and everyone makes a lot of money um, hopefully and then it didn't happen. Uh, so we are here to solve questions like how do we reduce uh, waste? How do you increase uh, profit margins by reducing production costs? Uh, how do you squeeze more out of your material? And how do you make better products? Great, all the hard work, <laughs> the stuff. Well, that, yeah, I've, I've been yeah. joking that I make cannabis boring again because we right. did uh, computational studies on the uh, reaction mechanism of decarboxylation, um, because there's a great difference between THC and CBD. So cannabis producers and hemp farmers have to do decarboxylation different. Um, so very boring academic questions that I find amazingly exciting. That have amazing, but I imagine they're boring academic questions that have a, a powerful result uh, effect on the business side of things. Yes, yes. Because um, the, you know, the, whether it's a quality of a product, whether it's a reduction in cost, you know, you can say those words, but it's work like this, I'm assuming, that will actually make it happen. Let me, yes. let me ask you, uh, you've written about the myths and facts about psychedelics and so on. I wanted to get into that side of it first. Can you can you give me a sort of a summary of your perspective on that? When what do you mean by myths and facts? What what is it that we should know that we don't yeah. know? Yeah. So so I've been now at a few conferences that also have psychedelic uh, sections or psychedelic conferences, and most of 
a lot of the speakers and the the people on the floor and the Q and A part of of the event are very reminiscent of the the people that I ran into in the cannabis world a few years back, but are still around. That so cannabis is this God given plant to solve all problems and heal every ailment. So that was 2016. Now psychedelic mushrooms are this god-given fungus right. Uh, right. To, to heal everything and bring us world peace and it is problematic if you go into a, a field a research project or an industry with the answer already set in your mind and then try to fit the rest to it mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a scientist that's approach that's a no-go um, but i i see that these industries like to do this with this go in with a myth, a, a belief, and then try to make their world try to prove it fit right. around it. Yes. Yeah. So um, there is now more and more clinical and, and medical trial data that indicates in the direction that uh, psychedelics, and so psychedelics is uh, psilocybin mushrooms, um, other synthetic psychedelics like LSD, uh, but also medical treatments or medical products that are already in the market and then used off-label ketamine that bring um, betterment for various uh, medical indications and and so on the psych- on the um, a depression side, PTSD. Um, there's also um, with uh, overcoming alcohol withdrawals or like being able to withdraw right. from uh, excessive alcohol uh, use. Uh, there's really interesting data coming out, uh, but these data points are promising, but they are not perfect. Um, first, the the MDMA trial by uh, Maps was good but not amazing which led to a bit of a crush uh, of the of the cannabis of the psychedelic stock market because everyone had hoped for these like this is perfect and then it was just a very good treatment so the data wasn't as exciting um, it's still good but it's not exciting uh, or you see in other trials that they have maybe used 10 participants and so mm. the chance for looking at a wrong at a false signal signal is still there um medical trials that we see for for normal medication that come onto the market um they eventually include thousands of participants right before it gets yeah. to market so we're, we're like a bit early there's promise but it's early would in there are um for instance in toronto where i am clinics I use some clinics where you can you where you can access psilocybin for treatment, for ver- for mental, uh, with supervised, would, would you, in your mind, is that a bit premature? Should we be allowing that? If what you're saying things are promising is what I'm hearing, we really shouldn't be selling or marketing the psychedelics for medical purposes yet? So um, no, it's not too early. Yes, it should be done but with a caveat. So we are both in Canada. And in Canada, you can get treated with psychedelic compounds through a medical exemption 
license from Health Canada. So these clinics that treat patients with psilocybin, if they are above board, they are part of a clinical trial that got ah, the exemption okay. from Health Canada. Gotcha. Just Health Canada in January put a new system in place that now you can also get a treatment exemption or a treatment license for a single case. We, uh, up to the end of 2021, all Health Canada licenses for psilocybin treatment or psychedelic treatment had to be a full men uh, medical trial. Uh, and they just added for 2022, you can now as a, as a doctor request a single uh, license. Like for a so particular like patient? I have you mean? one patient who is doing bad and I think so, uh, psilocybin might help and then they could do it. So if this is above board and through Health Canada, I'm all for Fantastic. it. Gotcha. When we are thinking about the mushroom stores that pop up in Vancouver, they're all unlicensed. Uh, and okay. they're doing the same thing that they did with cannabis like a decade or two back when they're like, okay, no one is raiding us and shutting us down. So let's just do this. And there you get, you get this unlicensed setup where you also lack the, 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 the government oversight or the, the testing um, precision. So you might buy a mushroom and you have no idea how much this mushroom has. So if you're like self-treatment, um, mm. you might either shoot yourself to the moon or you just bought a dried uh, right. uh, uh, mushroom you could have bought cheaper at home. <laughs> right. so okay. this, that's a problem. Uh, then also, we we got a few psychedelic mushrooms into our lab for research purposes. Right? We have a license, of course. Um, and we found a lot of other fungi on it. So the the, the mushroom wow. was contaminated. It was uh, was moldy. Wow. Okay. Um, and we also have some other functional mushrooms. We we do research on that too, and 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 some of them are also really really moldy. So, well, I mean that's the argument for legalized. Yeah, yeah, so you're getting a quality product that has been tested. It's above board. You know what you're getting. You're not just buying it from someone who has. I agree. I'm, sure. I'm, I'm for uh, legalization yeah. because that means regulations oversight. Sure. Um, so, the, so the, and then there's this myth of microdosing. And microdosing uh, mushrooms apparently is common in certain fields, groups, uh, societies. Sure. You read it, you hear about it all the time. That is all like anecdotal, like, oh, I'm doing this, this works. But any treatment always falls to the problem of the placebo effect. Okay. So there was like one study where they did a really good design to look for and control for the placebo effect. And what they found was that microdosing and the placebo effect were exactly the same thing. Like it gave oh, you exactly the same response. Like so <laughs> it was hmm, the, micro okay, the microdosing effect was best predicted by the belief of the user if they're microdosing or not, not by the actual microdosing. Wow. Okay. 
um, it's, a, it's a really cool study where they did crossover and like gave people mushrooms and said there is psychoda- uh, psilocybin sure, in. I can imagine. And there's yeah. no psilocybin in, but then mixed it up if there was some in or not. And so, right. so it's they, really, right. really cool. So they covered study. all their bases. Yeah. It's nicely designed, but obviously it's also not a, it's a small study, right? They didn't use uh, tens of thousands. The same, of same problem as what you're saying a yeah. lack of, of data yet. I, get, I can imagine a lot of, uh, listeners now going no it's no you're not right you're not yeah. listening to yeah. the and then we, we, are, we are like it's funny how you're yeah you actually do the, the work the right yeah so work. so what is our work we are not we are not medical professionals we're chemists so we don't actually give psilocybin mushrooms to anyone uh yeah. the only one who gets the psilocybin mushroom is our analytical instrument mm-hmm. uh and they they get a lot of those mushrooms right and so um, they love them <laughs> so if you if you have something in mind of what we are you might think of like a testing lab you're used to from the cannabis industry and they are they should now slowly start in the psychedelic world too but we are not a testing lab per se um we don't have one standard method to to always give you the right thc uh, concentration we we have instruments that are way more expensive and way more complicated uh that we don't look at just thc and cbd uh, we look at everything that is in the cannabis plant or in the mushroom. Uh, and so in the mushroom, you know psilocybin. You also might have heard of psilocin, which is the dephosphorylated um, product of psilocybin. And that's actually the r- drug. So psilocybin is a pro-drug. And what actually gives you uh, the, the medical or the, the mental effect is psilocin. And uh, then there are a total of seven uh, tryptamine it's known in the psychedelic mushrooms. So psilocybin is the tryptamine. When we look at it, we can already see 14 tryptamines. Hmm. So like we are, we are taking such a deep look at it that, that we see new compounds. And so then we come back to the question, is psilocybin doing all the work or oh, are there other tryptamines right. that do something? Um, because most of the medical trials right now are on synthesized psilocybin because that you can control, uh, you, you purify it, you're sure you're giving a controlled exact uh, amount to the patient. You need that for clinical trials. Right. You can't just give them a mushroom and hope it was enough. Right. So do we now have the same situation that uh, cannabis had where we talk about the entourage effect? Or is psilocybin a one-trick pony, psilocybin, uh, and that's it? So interesting. We're talking to Dr. Marcus Rogan of uh, Delic Labs uh, from Vancouver, Canada, learning all about psilocybin and psychedelics and myths and uh, facts. Um, I want to pick up on something you just mentioned a couple times, uh, but I haven't given you a chance to talk about it because you've written a bit about miscalculating the amount of THC after decarboxylation. Can you, can, I'm fascinated by this. Can you tell us a bit what, summarize what your findings were and maybe define decarboxylation? <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, so um, as we said earlier, I'm the guy who makes cannabis uh, boring again. And, right, so bore uh, us a bit with some facts. Yeah, and hopefully some in the truth. future with yeah. psychedelics too. <laughs> So we do the chemistry research and um, my background is not in in cannabis or psychedelic mushrooms. I had a traditional academic pathway and uh, came to the game very late. Uh, Actually, I didn't know how cannabis smelled and I always thought you smoked the leaves. So I'm I'm an outsider. That outside, 
being an outsider has the advantage that I look at cannabis culture or, or cannabis processes with a new eye. And I was like, why are you doing this? And so why are you doing this? And then we look into it and then maybe we can make it better. So miscalculating of total THC is, is the perfect example here. So a little bit of background. Um, the cannabis plant produces THC acid. Uh, and upon heating, the THC, uh, THC acid decarboxylates forms THC, and THC is the uh, compound that actually makes you high. THC acid doesn't do that. Uh, and I've dosed a call former colleague of mine with 550 milligrams of THC acid, and you didn't get high. So I know mm. it doesn't make you high. Right. Um, so uh, when the industry or when someone is selling cannabis flour, they always state total THC amount because there's maybe 1% THC in there because most of the THC in the plant is still in its natural form, THC acid. But the marketers haven't really figured out how to sell THC acid. So they just call it THC. But you right. have to correct your calculations. Because in you go, if you go in a store, cannabis flour is sold as 20% total THC or 20% THC. They even right. let the they just say that, yeah. total out. But actually, the plant only has 1% THC by weight. These are all weight percentages. And, and, and maybe 19, 20% uh, THC acid. No. So how is this total THC number made up? It is the weight percentage of THC plus the weight percentage of THC acid, but that weight percent for THC acid needs to be corrected because decarboxylation is the loss of a CO2 group from THC acid to make a THC. And by losing atoms, the THC molecule or THC acid to THC molecule becomes lighter. Okay. So if everything is by weight percent, we're talking about weights, your molecule gets lighter. So you have to correct for the weight loss of the molecule. Ah. So the weight difference between THC acid and THC is uh, 80, 88%, 87.7%. So what, what everyone does is weight percent of THC plus weight percent of THC acid and the acid part multiplied by 0 0.877. So okay. that corrects the math. We're great, right? So perfect. So you now have a perfect number. You have one number. You sell that. Everyone buys by THC number. We're great. There's a small problem, uh, and let's let's explain. So the the quick answer is yeah. The quick answer is uh, you correct it in the nominator, but not in a denominator. And everyone hates math uh, middle school, so an example here is best. Um, let's do this example with pure THC acid crystal. So if you buy crystalline THC acid, uh, that is pure THC acid. If you would do this math, you would take 100% THC acid times 0 0.877. So your pure THC acid crystal only has 88% THC. That doesn't make any sense. So the math problem is that they didn't correct the mass loss of oh, the I sample. See. Right. Because you have to correct that too. Um, okay, why does anyone care of the listeners? You should care because Right now, everyone buys cannabis by the THC number. And the more TH, higher the THC number, the more you get. And if you have 19%, they won't leave the store. If you have 20, you can charge more and it sells. 
if you do the math correct, a lot of the 19% THC flower now becomes 20 THC flower. Mm. So the industry is leaving money on the table because they are undervaluing the cannabis flower. Amazing. So that's the math side. Is it right to sell cannabis by THC number? Is that the only thing that counts? Does it really matter? That's a completely different discussion. I don't think it does. It's more the whole, it's also the terpene content, it's the flavor and, and so on. But point is cannabis industry is bad at math and therefore is missing out on a lot of money. Okay, well, now you've nailed it because the show called The Business of Cannabis and ultimately uh, it's about for making money in a, in a positive sense. Um, that's an, and, people, and we get so many people on the show of, of, of straining of ways to make money. And, uh, and, and this seems to be a pretty easy one. Yeah, that, uh, that's really easy. And when you, you have your product and now instead of having selling 80% of it, you could sell 100% of it or 70% of it. Um, I encourage you all to go to deliclabs.com deliclabs.com and check out some of the information uh, there written by our, our guest, our esteemed guest, Dr. Marcus Rogan. Uh, um, thank you very much. That was fascinating. I literally have about 20 more questions. So um, I'm going to give you a little time to do a little more work, uh, get a little more boring. And so we can get some of those boring facts because uh, it's... Um, uh, psychedelics are definitely going to become important. We just don't know how yet or in what way. Uh, they're already playing a role and it's going to be a fascinating and, and work like this is going to do a lot to sort of uh, determine how, how and what role it'll play. It'll be fascinating. Yeah. So thank you very much for, uh, for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And we will be back uh, with more of The Business of Cannabis. The Business of Cannabis is brought to you by CashTech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, CashTech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call CashTech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com. Welcome back to the business of cannabis. I'm going to be joined by Meredith Mahoney of Lantern. Uh, Meredith is co-founder and CEO, uh, and Lantern is making a big splash in the highly competitive world of e-commerce and delivery uh, of cannabis. Now, prior to Lantern, interesting background, Meredith uh, headed up a beauty and skincare company called Folane, and before that, some years at a teeny little company called Wayfair, which I know no one's heard of. She also holds a Bachelor of Science in Architecture from MIT, which is a touch show-offy in my view, but just impressive enough to merit a mention on the business of cannabis. Meredith, welcome to the show. Oh, well, thank you for having me here. <laughs> what a great intro. I enjoyed that. Yeah, and I'll uh, be getting, uh, I need some advice on my house, by the way, so we'll be talking about that after this, but how about we jump into it uh, and talk about your company. Um, Describe Lantern in general sense. What's, what's the platform and what's the business model? How does it work? 
Yeah, so Lantern is a cannabis e-commerce marketplace and delivery platform. So uh, where we show up for the customers in two really important places. The first is as a marketplace, which as you know, I'm sure is how most people buy any consumer good they're buying is in marketplaces. And so our thesis is that cannabis um, is in a lot of ways like other consumer goods and people will want choice around price, around brands, around um how they're getting their products. So the marketplace is the first, um, our first position. And then our platform also enables delivery. So we were actually incubated within Drizzly, which is the largest alcohol and spirits, uh, wine and spirits platform in the US and Canada, recently acquired by Uber. But that technology was built over, pardon me, 10 years. And it's really a foundation for the technology that we're building. Um, obviously, we're building a lot on top of it that's cannabis specific, but the delivery technology that drives Lantern is best in class and is driving a great consumer experience. So, so yeah, so let's delve into the marketplace first, because um, I picked up on it's like other consumer products, but also it's not like other consumer products. And you've sold lots of different things from beauty products to, of course, Wayfair sells everything. Um, in, the, in their category. So how would you compare it to other products and how, how have you learned it? How is it unique as well? So I think it's the same in a lot of great ways and it's different in a lot of great ways. And yes, I've sold everything in my career uh, <laughs> uh, in any e-commerce platforms. Also Omnichannel, I did brick and mortar as well. Okay. Um, so this is what was interesting about this to me was coming into a company founding a company that really we believe is going to have a similar customer journey than other categories. Um, people, particularly after the pandemic, have been have really accelerated toward the behavior of shopping online and having things delivered. I mean, you have almost everything delivered or you can these days. Um, sure. So in some ways, I think the things that are the same are People want selection. They want to have choice. Again, I'll repeat myself around um, brands, around price, around does it come today or does it come in a few days? They want to you know, have choice around what stores they're shopping from. Um, and then on the, on the other hand, cannabis is unlike anything else that you can buy online because there's no standardized products. Um, sort of there are in, in some of the product categories, but it's unlike, you know, beauty or paper towels or kind of some of those, there's no UPCs. Um, so there's a lot of, we need to provide the customer a lot of information around what they're buying and then also what is the right product for them. So there's a few different customer journeys that, you know, if you're an e-commerce person, you think about someone who's coming in like, I know what I want. I want the experience to be frictionless, get me through this as quickly as possible. We will have some customers like that. Okay. I think more likely we're going to have customers that are, you know, like I'm coming into the Lantern experience because I want to buy flour for tonight because I'm having friends over. But we need to help them decide and understand yeah. what they're buying for that experience. Because I, yeah, I maybe don't have the knowledge or I'm overwhelmed. How do you deal with that? That overwhelming, I mean, Amazon uh, does a pretty good job of that despite the trillions of products they offer, it seems quite simple. Here are the three things you really, there it is. There's, there's a, there, yeah, how do you deal with that? I think that they've gotten better over time and we yeah. as in cannabis are probably on the early end of, of okay. this experience. Um, 
I think one lantern isn't going to carry every single SKU in the state, in any state we're in. Uh, we're going to carry the products that provide the right selection, um, um, again, like the right price, the right brands, et cetera. But, you know, we're going to make sure that our assortment is what the customers in that city want and need. Um, I think that the other key thing is, is providing many different ways that the consumer can engage with the site. So again, you have that transactional customer, you have the customer that's just learning. You might have a customer that kind of needs um, a step-by-step -step process to help them understand what they want. We'll have in the next few weeks, a discovery tool that will help customers understand that. Um, they can shop from our, our content portion of our site. There's just a lot of different ways. Right. Um, the customers in this category shop. So we're going to build all of those experiences for them. So like there's a, a huge educational on all levels, not even the product, but how to buy it. It sounds like, which is got to be a challenge, not to mention how do you choose which products to carry per se? Like, do you do that? Do you curate what I find on Lantern or is it? I think it's less about curating at the dispensary level because by the way, our model is that we connect consumers to licensed dispensaries that are featured on Lantern. So it's less about curating the assortment from each dispensary as much as, you know, if we have four dispensaries that are all selling the same edible within, mm. you know, that have a good price selection, we don't need to add two more dispensaries that sell th that product two more times. That gets I get, yeah. confusing for the customer. And I think to your point about Amazon, what they had not done well in the past was really differentiate the 10 or 15 sellers that sell the same thing. Right. Whereas now they're doing a better job of that through reviews, yeah. through communicating how fast you can get the product, um, through content, like photography, user-generated content. So that will be our approach. Like uh, I think unlike, um, unlike Amazon, they kind of king make or queen make the products that they make the most margin on. Oh, I see. We are not going to do that. We are going right. to really stay true to customer behavior and serve up personalized uh, product according to kind of what your profile is and what you're interested in personally. Do you um, see a role, uh, do you see a cannabis being uh, brand led from your perspective? So multi-state, multinational, you know, um, or do you see it being led as still or a, a significant place for craft cannabis, small cannabis in locations, a particular state, and so on? How do you see I that think balancing? You're gonna see both. I think you know today, particularly on the East Coast where I live, brands are very, very nascent. Um, the average consumer does not know brands beyond the one or two that they buy regularly. Um, I do think the future of cannabis is strongly in brands, which is another reason we're making okay. this marketplace play. Right. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be kind of similar to alcohol, where you're going to have the Bud Lights and the you know the right. barefoot wine, and then you're going to have like really really nice local craft cultivators and processors and brands, and you're just going to be kind of what the consumer needs that day or wants that day. You mentioned brick and mortar. Um, um in your past how do you see e-commerce and brick and mortar coexisting in the cannabis space or not coexisting will one dominate the other is this walmart or amazon or both because you're clearly on the 
sort of Amazonish path. <laughs> well, interesting. Yet your clients are cannabis or dispensaries. Yeah. They can't go away. Well, I mean, I, Walmart I and Amazon are two of the biggest companies in the world, and they're both actually kind of pushing into each other's space. You see Amazon actually opening stores. You see Walmart That's over the past yeah. 15 years trying to get really good at e-commerce um, with some fits and starts. I truly believe this is an omni-channel business. Um, I think that okay. we've seen that in grocery, which is clearly not the same as, as cannabis, but um, we've seen that more in like the big box store world that consumers that shop omni-channel actually spend more money and have higher LTVs. I don't think any, right. most of the population doesn't just shop in one channel. And so I think you're going to see customers have an affinity for their local dispensary that's in their neighborhood and they're going to want to create those connections. And then sometimes they're going to want to buy things that aren't sold at that dispensary and they want them fast and convenient. And that's going to be where the lanterns of the world come in. Right. Um, and I think it's important for the dispensaries to understand that 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 coexistence of e-commerce and brick and mortar actually raises all ships. We've seen that over and over in a lot of categories. And um, you know, we have amazing partners in the three cities we're in, and we just um because they see that, and um we're just continuing to try to prove that out in cannabis as well. We are talking to Meredith Mahoney, the CEO, co-founder of Lantern. Um, uh, Lantern being a, a player in the e-commerce delivery uh, field and obviously some, some pretty impressive early conne connections with Drizzly and, and Uber. Uh, so uh, some pretty strong technology, I'm assuming. But talk to me a bit about the three cities that you're in and how, and how that experience went from, I'm assuming, one city or all at once. Tell me how that went. Yeah. <laughs> It went slowly, which I think everyone <laughs> in this industry oh, yeah, exactly. yeah. can relate to. Although uh, slow in cannabis is like a year. So uh, it's, yeah. not, it's not um, like a 30-year thing. Yeah, I think that what I had to learn coming into cannabis, I had not ever been in a regulated category before, is in unregulated categories that aren't illegal <laughs> at the federal level, <laughs> right. you move yeah. as quickly as the size of your team and the money you have in the bank and how good you are. And so you really create your own destiny in cannabis. I mean, everyone listening to this will agree you're at the mercy of the speed regulation, which actually turns out to be fine because then you can build really thoughtful product. You can build great relationships, kind of right. slows the process down a little bit. So we're in Boston, Detroit, and Denver. Yeah. Um, Boston is where we started. So this is our biggest market. We've been doing this the longest. Um, Denver is quite new just this month, just in oh. the last couple of weeks. Um, Congratulations. We were, thanks. We were operating in Aurora <laughs> for a little while. Okay. Um, and then we've had a business in Detroit for um, about a year. Okay. And quick one, maybe it's unfair. What did you learn in Boston that made Detroit smoother and Denver even smoother still? Because I'm assuming that was the case, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> it's so interesting you ask that because this three markets are so different that sure. every time we do a new market, it's a, it's almost like a new company. Um, oh, wow. Okay. I mean, clearly there are some things we've learned around um, how quickly the customer can get the product, what impact that has on their interest in purchasing 
how selection matters. But if you look at kind of the things that drive consumer behavior, like the prices between Denver and Boston for an eighth of flour are like wildly different. Oh, okay, the sure. Regs around delivery in the three cities are so different and it drives the price of delivery. It's extremely expensive to do delivery in Boston. It's very inexpensive in Detroit. Um, Denver because has of manpower? Shopping, because so of manpower, by the way? Sorry. Can I jump in? Because of the cost of labor or because of infrastructure of the city? It's the regs. So in Boston, there has oh. to, excuse me, in Massachusetts, there has to be two drivers per car. They have to insure both drivers. Uh, they have to have body cams. They have to have an independent GPS. Ah. So the cost of delivery here is quite high. Um, all of the people that believe in delivery, including Lantern and the dispensaries and the couriers, we're all kind of just assuming that those regs will change and um, the regulators are actually looking at them now, but it is pretty onerous to do delivery here. Totally, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because that sounds like there's a, bar a high barrier to entry if you're going city by city. And then at the same time, each city has its own challenges. Is that the Lantern, is, is Lantern, going to be a, a company that's in 10, 15 cities? Or are you going to be in 10, 15 states? How, how's that going to develop in your mind? I because think the nature of the, of the, of the market. Yeah. Um, we mostly will exist in larger cities. So I think that in some ways that's like 10 cities or 10 states are kind of the same thing. We, uh, our oh. strategy is to stay uh, mostly eastern half of the U.S., a um, couple outliers, obviously Denver's never. Denver. <laughs> Wait uh, a second. Wait a second. My geography's not great. It's Denver. <laughs> <laughs> um, funny thing, delivery is actually not legal in for third-party tech in many states. It's only like six or seven states. Oh, and okay. a couple of those are on the West Coast. Um, so we're actually in most of the markets we can be in um, and, and not be on the West Coast. And then I think our strategy is, I think, a good one, which is to just keep going um, to newly legalized states up and down the East Coast, New York, New Jersey, hopefully Pennsylvania, hopefully Maryland at some point. And, um, you know, when we can be first to market, it actually really helps because you don't have to change consumer behavior as much. You don't have to, like, shift people's mindset from... right. I've been going to the dispensary for four years. Okay, now delivery. Sure. Um, I noticed you didn't, did you say New York there or did I miss it? No, yeah, I said New York. Oh, okay. I say it three more uh, yeah. times. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was just like, wait a second, there's a big city somewhere on the East Coast. Uh, but I mean, New York could be like all your markets combined. I mean, whoever can win New York, and there'll be multiple winners in all of the different, you know, areas, not just e-commerce, but I mean, New York, I think they're saying is going to be bigger than California. Um, so it's going right. to be a huge market and we're gearing up for it. So when all your people are in your office and you've got the whiteboard and, the, and everything's going and the coffee's going, what do you say is why, why will Lantern be a winner? What factors do you think favor you? So the way that New York is setting up is looking like it's going to be very friendly to small business. Um, they decided last month that they were going to issue the first one to 200 
uh, retail licenses to justice involved can, um, applicants, um, right. which means those are gonna be small businesses and Lantern, it, marketplaces work really well when they aggregate small business um, because obviously as a consumer, you wanna see all your choices. Um, we've also done a lot of work in um, oh, five markets now, the three we're in plus New York, New Jersey, running a lot of social social equity work. We run incubators in five states. We've been really working with that community to help get um, licenses issued and get um, some connection to capital going. So we're hoping that we'll have a good connection to those applicants and we can help them figure out the right way to stand up their businesses, You know, whether that's with or without Lantern. Right. So I'm gonna ask a final, like, we're almost out of time as we, as we always find ourselves when we have interesting guests. Um, it sounds like an easy question, but I think it's a really hard one. I'm a dispensary. I've heard this. I'm in one of these three cities or potentially in New York or a city in New Jersey. Why, do, why, would, why should I reach out to Lantern and not someone else, not one of the other delivery companies or, or uh, e-commerce platforms? Well, talk to me directly. Yeah, and I, I think... I think that the key thing is um, we are a consumer-facing marketplace platform. We're not an advertising platform. We're not a B2B white-label um, e-commerce solution. Like We are a team of e-com people. It's our history. It's what we're good at. And so we're going to be building an experience that that dispensary, even with their own e-com site, isn't going to be able to build because we will aggregate sure. a lot of different products. So in this whole um, you know, spirit of omni-channel, a customer is going to want to walk into your store sometimes, they're gonna to wanna to shop on your own website sometimes, and then they're gonna to wanna to shop on Lantern sometimes. So as a dispensary owner operator, you really should be touching your customer as many places as you possibly can. The other thing is Lantern drives volume. We spend hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a month in every market <laughs> on marketing. Okay, interesting, so, okay. Yeah. So you do your yeah. and you're taking a piece of that, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, um, I have, we've been talking to Meredith Mahoney, CEO of Lantern, uh, currently in Boston, Detroit, Denver, soon to be in about seven or eight other cities. It sounds like. Yeah. Um, so I would uh, well reach out to lanternnow.com. That's Lantern Now, and there's two ends there. Um, the lantern and then the now, uh, and check and check out and check them out. Uh, Meredith, I, this was really interesting. Thanks, I really appreciate this insight. Um, Thank you. Yeah, we uh, we will be uh, uh, back uh, with more of uh, the business of cannabis. The business of cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers, cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services. Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com. Welcome back to the Business of Cannabis, Dave Sky. Here, we've been talking to Dr. Marcus Rogan of Adelic Labs and uh, Meredith Mahoney of Lantern. Hype versus reality. That's what I'm thinking about, Lori, after uh, speaking to them uh, on different 
different takes, different levels, but that's where I, you know, uh, we've got uh, uh, Dr. Ragan talking about THC levels that are wrong, um, that are bogus. Uh, microdosing, he doesn't believe in it. It's not proven. It's not science. He's, you know, recall uh, some uh, a couple months ago, we spoke to Ken Clement at Kansana Health and they had a potential a treatment for open wounds and it's a $20 billion market and they're in you know, the third stage of clinical trials. Yeah, but it hasn't been proven yet. It's not a product. Um, there's a lot of hype around medicinal. It's still anecdotal at the end of the day. Uh, that proof, that true medical proof it, um, would be transformative, but it hasn't happened. And I, I found it sort of not depressing in a way, but a bit of uh, um, a little cold water on, on that of, okay, the hype's great. We're kind of moving into reality now of, of what cannabis can be. Not that we all don't believe it's going to be more and more and more developed and um, as an industry, but uh, the realities are setting in, certainly on the science side. And then from Lantern, I thought that it was the business realities are setting in. It's a simple concept, uh, order something online and deliver it. It's nothing new. Uh, 20 years ago, okay, a little more uh, 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 hype, but it's reality now. But uh, so many moving parts, uh, so many uh, regulatory hurdles uh, to overcome. Uh, for, in Boston, for instance, maybe it's just simply too expensive in that city in that state to deliver. Uh, people aren't gonna spend, I'm making up a number here, $10, $15 for delivery, but they would spend a dollar or $1.50 for it, whatever, uh, where those uh, regulatory hurdles don't make it so expensive. A city by city strategy. So they're either gonna be so entrenched in those cities that bigger players can't dislodge them. So they'll have created this urban big city brand, this, this sort of business model that is incredibly powerful. And then you'll know when you go to New York or LA or Boston or Chicago, Houston, whatever, whatever big city, whether you live there or, or traveling there, you know you're gonna call Lantern because that's where you're gonna order it and they'll deliver it to you and you trust them and they're entrenched there. Or they won't have that. They just happen to be in those cities, but there's no magic to it. And then when economies of scale come along, they, they will not have the infrastructure or the connection to the consumer to overcome it. So yeah, it's a great idea. You know, Online ordering Amazon, order your cannabis, bang, it's at your door. Clearly that's a model that works. But you're, there, are, there are ways from, there's the hype of it. I, I can understand the whiteboarding and people getting exciting and investing in it, but it's the nitty gritty of um, having to do it. You know, so sort of there's a small, smaller issue of the business itself, but there's also a larger issue of how is the cannabis infrastructure going to develop to support the, the product itself? The, 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 not the grower, but okay, there's the cannabis and it's got to get into someone's hands and there's a thousand steps there and there's 
software and there's um, real people that have to be involved and there's trucks and there's refrigeration and there's and, and endless uh, in, and that's where people are making inroads uh, and developing, but we don't have the, the answer yet. Um, endlessly fascinating industry from that reason, the hype and the reality. Uh, but it seems like we're we're still there in that we're not we haven't decided yet. Maybe more you know obviously more mature industries. Off the top of my head, I don't know grocery. There there's more reality, but there's still hype. You know, the uh, uh, ordering online groceries and robots fulfilling your order and ordering in you know virtual reality and and an hour later the, you know okay. That's a bit of hype. Don't know if people even want that. Is that even viable? Um, probably the robots are. We know they're taking over. Uh, and, and, and likewise, in green energy, a lot of hype. Uh, is hydrogen going to uh, become the fuel of the future? Uh, lots of people put a lot of money into it, but so far it hasn't happened, has it? Uh, similarly, a lot of great ideas and a lot of investment. But here are two businesses. One, uh, Delic Labs is in the reality business. We are doing scientific studies of psychedelics. And we aren't going to, it's not anecdotal. And the science will dictate what our conclusions will be. And I think there's going to be, my, it sounds like there's going to be some uncomfortable conclusions. Uh, Balloons will be will be burst, <laughs> uh, but uh, likewise, balloons will be blown to ruin the analogy uh, and drive it into the ground. There will be balloons that get bigger because the science supports it. Uh, and then you have a, a business like Lantern, which is a great idea, uh, but it'll remain to be seen if that growth from city to city to city takes root not only as, a, as, an, as an idea, but in, in the reality of a connection to a customer, uh, providing a service that they truly value. Well, that is our show for today. We have run out of time. Uh, I'd like to thank, uh, as always, our sponsor, Cash Tech Currency Products. Cash Tech Currency Products for all your cash management needs. Um, all that money you have at the dispensary or at the grow, uh, they will track, manage, and secure it. So check them out at www.cashtechcurrency.com. Uh, I am Dave Sky. I wish you the best. Until next week, this is The Business of Cannabis. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.